You're listening to the Ottoman History Podcast. To find out more about today's topic or check out some of our other episodes, along with maps, images, documents, and other materials related to the history of the Ottoman Empire and the modern Middle East, visit us on the web at ottomanhistorypodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Emily Newmeyer. And today we're going to be talking to Paolo Girodelli, who is an associate professor at the Department of History at Boazici University. Dr. Girodelli is a historian of architecture, and his work primarily focuses on European communities and architects in late Ottoman cities. And today we'll be talking about his new book project, Landscapes of the Eastern Question, Architecture and Identity in Galata, Para, in the Bosporus, 1774 to 1919. So, Dr. Girardelli, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I was very happy to to participate to this uh, uh, initiative, which, uh, as far as I understand, opens uh, hopefully a series of uh, podcasts on uh, art and architecture. Yes, thank you. This will be the... uh this episode will be launching a new episode series with the Ottoman History Podcast called The Visual Past, and um, it will be focusing on art, architecture, and material culture in the Ottoman world. So uh, check that out on our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank, so anyway, thank you for uh, <laughs> being the pioneer yeah. in this series. Um, so to, to get into your, into your project... Uh, that concerns Para, um, I think most of our listeners are already familiar with Para, uh, as known today, uh, Beilu, and they know it today as a, as a commercial center, real mo- the modern center of, of Istanbul. But in the 19th century, Para was what you call uh, the district of diplomacy, also, yes, not and, uh, not only, but yes. So maybe people are not so familiar with the nineteenth with Para in the nineteenth century. So could you give us a sort of a general overview of uh, how this district changed? Para means beyond in uh, in Greek, and uh, it refers to an area of the city that lays beyond the Golden Horn from uh, the center of the city, from so from the historic peninsula, from the uh, from the site of, of uh, Byzantine and Ottoman legacy. So Pera is beyond that. It's, mm. it's beyond the Golden Horn, which implies a nuance of, of alterity, of difference. Uh, uh, but it, it's not entirely different. Of course, it's, it's, it has peculiarities. Uh, it was uh, the expansion also of the, of the Genoese uh, colony of Galata, uh, sometimes the name, the, the place name Pera includes both Galata and what we call Pera today. So it, it might, it may be a little bit ambivalent, uh, but uh, by the 19th century, so the time I'm mostly focused, but the long 19th century, the, the time I'm focusing on, Pera indicates uh, this expansion outside the walls uh, of Galata. So uh, Galata was still 
in, in, uh, surrounded by walls, by the Genoese walls, until the 1860s. And the only thing that's left now is the tower, is, uh, right? Yeah, the tower. Most people don't and, realize it's part very, of a whole very short branch. wall yeah, They were demolished in 1863-64. There are only few remnants. Uh, but so... Pera developed mostly in the 18th century and, uh, and, and 19th outside the wall as, as the new, the modern expansion of, uh, of Galata. Mm-hmm. On the heights, it was more salubrious, it was less crowded because of the plague. Also, uh, the diplomats preferred to settle in Pera rather than Galata, beginning uh, with the uh, big beginning, actually rather early. I mean, some scattered embassies were already there in the 16th and 17th century. But then in the in the 18th, it's really the uh, big uh, urban uh, growth development. Of yeah, Pera. it's amazing when you see uh, older drawings uh, or photographs, even of this area, because it's so built up now. But it's hard for people to really conceptualize mm, yes, that this yes, was really. Um, you know, the countryside, practically. It, it was, yes. In fact, it was called uh, Pera Vineyards. Uh, it, it was uh, semi-rural uh, pretty much until the the end of the 18th century. So there were uh, there was just one uh, thoroughfare, the so-called Grand Rue de Pera, which is today Istiklal, Jadesi. It was, if we look at the old maps, uh, we see that it's the, the only built-up uh, axis of, uh, of, uh, of Pera all around is really uh, still very sparse. I mean, the settlement is still uh, primary uh, suburban or even rural. Right, yeah. So Pera was beyond the Golden Horn, beyond but it was also the, beyond, beyond Galata, Galata, actually. Yes, yeah. in fact. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So um, in terms of the development of Para in the 19th century, uh, you're focusing on the development of diplomatic architecture, Mm. um, embassies uh, primarily. I think the embassies are a crucial aspect of... uh, uh, the, the urban, not only the architecture, but the urban development, uh, uh, because they were uh, not simply representative institutions. They were really the cores of, of a system. So every embassy was responsible for other spaces, other uh, for churches, uh, hospitals, uh, schools. Uh, the, so uh, they developed... Uh, uh, in uh, in parallel with uh, a system of other places and that that's why and churches especially are are interesting for me because uh, they are less visible less uh, uh, imposing than embassies architecturally but they are politically very mm-hmm. very important churches are sites also of exchange and encounter because we have the catholic churches for instance where the uh, europeans and the armenians meet the the french embassy uh, usually called palais de france it's interesting also that all these embassies are usually called palaces and palace mm. or palais usually in french because and it's not just uh, architectural i mean it's a political label i mean that they, mm-hmm. they are called Palaces, because they are centers of power, they are perceived as that, and 
and uh, so the French palace is uh, located in Pera since uh, the beginning of the since the beginning of French Ottoman relations in the uh, 16th century with uh, really uh, the time of uh, François the first and and Suleiman um, and the the embassy was protecting uh, at least since the uh, 18th century also the Franciscans of Saint Antoine which is uh, on Istiklal which, is, which is on Istiklal today but not in the same site as today oh. uh, originally it was uh, on the premises of the embassy so oh. it was in a way the expansion of the embassy grounds on Istiklal mm-hmm. and that happened because Istiklal gained relevance gained urban relevance and uh, it, it was an attractive place uh, in the mid 18th century especially so the, all the the embassies that did not have a place on Istiklal like uh, the French and the Venetian were the oldest embassies they tried somehow to be present on Istiklal in other ways. So there, the, the the French embassy protected this church, which was right on Istiklal, and so it, it was a way of being present on the on this new urban showcase, which gained importance in that period. So it seems like there were already this presence of these different communities and uh, diplomatic. Uh, functionaries and, and, you know, sort of the attendant institutions like churches already in Para um, in the early, sorry, late 18th century? They Yes, they had actually moved from Galata to Para. Okay. That, that is an interesting process. Yes, uh, and that happens about... Yeah, that happens... Um, uh, for instance, uh, for the Franciscans... Uh, it happens after their church is burned, is, is destroyed, damaged by a fire in mm-hmm. 1696. Right. And then they get, they did not get permission to rebuild it, to repair it. Uh, so they, uh, after some itinerancy, they decide to move to Pera. So they leave Caracuy and move to Pera and accept the protection of the... French ambassador. They were protected by the Venetian ambassador before, but then Venice was in trouble with the Ottomans, so the French protection was safer. Ah. And that, that so, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, so many political uh, and uh, power balances also are inscribed in this topography, in, this, uh, in the history of these uh, architectural sites. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, it's such a interesting the the urban development is such an interesting it's so reflection linked, yeah. it, it's, to it's really foreign to relations, foreign right? relations and uh, geopolitics, really. Right, because I mean, if you're having a war with France, you of know, course, the embassy you would, is yeah, shut no, down. You, right? <coughs> you would you choose know. another um, protector, but yeah, absolutely. I remember. I think it was World War One. The mm-hmm. the Russian embassy shut down basically yes for for obvious reasons so okay so they're there in the let's say it's the early 18th the 18th century they're they're in para but you know the embassies that i think that a lot of people have seen today off of istiklal uh that uh are now 
consulates, I think. Yes. Uh, because obviously uh, the the capital was changed to when the capital was changed to Ankara, they became consulates. But say the Russian consulate building, the uh, the Swiss. Uh, building these were obviously not made in the in the 18th century so do we have any idea they were made obviously made much later, later. yes so yes. do we know have uh, any idea of what the previous buildings sure yeah like? that that is my uh, one of my first uh, concerns i mean I'm, I'm working on largely on buildings that have disappeared so uh we have in in many cases we have enough uh documents visual and textual documents uh, about the the previous uh, um, existence of these buildings so prior to the 19th century and what's interesting is that uh, initially uh, all these embassies looked quite ottoman i mean they were quite integrated in the in the surrounding urban fabric uh, Pera itself was not a Western enclave. It was not uh, a European-looking district in the 18th century. It was made of uh, Ottoman wooden houses. Uh, the only, yeah, maybe the Grand Rue was the exception, but the Grand Rue, in the sense that it had a regular um, outline, uh, it was a major thoroughfare, but still it was flanked by... Uh, wooden houses, uh, Ottoman houses, uh, mostly. I mean, the, the majority of the houses is, well, were Ottoman. This began to change in the 1770s. So, and it's again linked to changing uh, power relations, power balances. So, after the Treaty of Kichuk Kainarja, which really ended uh, the, the Ottoman control of the Black Sea, and, and so for many historians, that is the beginning of the Eastern question, so called mm-hmm. Eastern question. Mm-hmm. Um, after the 1770s, uh, France was the first power that rebuilt the embassy in much more uh, clearly Western, European, uh, neoclassical forms. And following that, Venice also adopted uh, a Palladian image, but still the material, the construction material was local, was wooden, so we had these interesting hybrid uh, uh, buildings with uh, a European uh, appearance, but with an Ottoman structure and uh, uh, the size also was not so uh, overwhelmingly monumental. The kind of classicism that they adopted was also uh, in part uh, resonant with uh, what the Ottomans were interested in, because it's the time of Sadabad, it's the time of the first uh, naval academy built also in a neoclassical style. So they are not really uh, out of context. That's what uh, I argue, in at least in this period. Then we have Lord Elgin, who uh, Fa- the, the, the famous, famous Lord Elgin, uh, yeah, of, the famous Elgin of the marbles of the mar- of marble fame. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's he, what he's mostly he's, known for. Yeah, really. he's known for that, but uh, less known for the fact that he was a patron of uh, architecture and he tried to because he was the ambassador. He was the ambassador, right? a British ambassador. Uh, 
in the Ottoman capital, and he tried to um, build a replica of his own country estate in <laughs> Scotland. Uh, so this, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> neoclassical palace, uh, which uh, looks maybe a little more out of place than the French. And I mean, it's uh, it, it's very uh, imposing. Uh, it's built in masonry, not wood. Okay, and. It, it was the work uh, of an Italian architect who was working for Elgin on the Acropolis. So he was directed, Vincenzo Balestra, he was directly uh, engaged in that enterprise that yeah. uh, we know how uh, ended up in the, in the... And of course, this is the turn of the uh, 19th century, yes, so uh, Athens is still part of the Ottoman Empire. It's still part of the Ottoman Empire, Empire so. and there is a team of artists and architects working for Elgin on the Acropolis. One of them, uh, Vincenzo Balestra, is called to Istanbul to deal with the, with the project of the embassy. He is instructed to uh, duplicate basically the uh, Elgin estate at Broomhall in Scotland because he had the drawings with him. Uh, he could easily draw something that was directly uh, based on uh, the Broomhall uh, estate of Lord Elgin. Uh, he changed something, he, he did some, um, he modified uh, in some details, and then the execution also modified an already uh, modified version of the Elgin estate. So what we have in the end is not really a, a replica, it is mm -hmm. uh, quite different from the, the model in Scotland. Right. But yeah, and it's it's an interesting uh, uh, incident. It was all destroyed by the 1831 fire, so this is also a, a lost building that I have uh, reconstructed uh, through archival and uh, uh, iconographical sources. So you were saying that um, that a lot of the buildings that you're researching uh, are no longer with mm, us. Would yes. you say it's just sort of the, the, the matter of time can you point to a few there yes of course the, the 1831, 1831 fire is what uh, really is the catastrophe that really erased all this this early phase of the early embassy phase. construction which uh, was uh, the more hybrid I, I could say because while originally they were simply ottoman uh, uh, what we have today, they, today they look simply European, mostly. I mean, it's, of course, with some uh, details maybe of uh, integration. in the, But what we have, to, the landscape of diplomacy today is mostly, it's basically European, neoclassical and historicist. But in, in the late 18th, early 19th century, there was this interesting phase in which... Uh, a more um, hybrid and uh, with negotiable approach to to the design of embassies developed. It's amazing you have such a challenge in front of you because of this the uh, 1831 fire, yeah. and then what happened afterward. Uh, mm. You have this real challenge of it's like uh, 
architectural archaeology you have to you know you have mm -hmm. to use all these really visual and archival sources to reconstruct what para was as an urban landscape in the of late, course late yes I, I, I think yeah it's a really so amazing the, work the, yeah. the work yeah the project is called landscapes of the eastern quest right. because i i think not, every yeah, yeah not it's not just or, buildings and, yeah. but because i think uh in each phase of this development we we are facing a different landscape so it's so the, the late 18th century landscape um is uh, as i said is composed of landmarks that uh, really placed in between the Ottoman and the European understanding of uh, of space uh, and style, and and then after the 1831 fire, uh, the landscape that we have is really uh, the, it's the landscape of I would say the the the. The restoration, the Congress of Vienna, the new order of nations, uh, the, the the new world order that emerged after 1815, and uh, and this catastrophe, the fire of uh, 1831, gave the opportunity, especially to the Russian. I mean, Russia was the first power that rebuilt uh, the embassy uh, to the design of Gaspare Fossati, and we know that the Russian embassy rebuilt after the fire of 1831 was really a piece of St. Petersburg transferred to, I mean, displaced uh, to Istanbul. It was, uh, I mean, the scale, uh, the style, the impact uh, was really um, overthrowing. It was really overwhelming. We have... Uh, a nice in the in the um, maritime museum, Denis Museum in Istanbul. We have a nice uh, a sort of diorama, a three-dimensional painting uh, of uh, Topane and uh, Pera seen from uh, Marmara, from the Sea of Marmara, and the the Russian embassy is so dominant. Yeah, uh, this is big some white. <laughs> uh, yeah, some uh, travelers. Actually, arriving from the sea, actually mistook this for the for the Ottoman Imperial Palace. They <laughs> thought that this was, and it's quite uh, it, it's quite meaningful. I mean, this misunderstanding is I because guess mission accomplished, yeah, right? Because, <laughs> because uh, as we know, there were uh, a very diffused uh, fear, concern, and fear that uh, that Istanbul could become Russian. I mean, at at, at the time, so. Um, this was uh, somehow um, a, an architectural expression of that desire, of that uh, plan, Russian ambition. looking at a few images uh, in front of us uh, that, that we'll be discussing and highlighting during our discussion today. And uh, for our listeners, uh, if you're interested in seeing some of the images that we're talking about, we'll be putting them up on the on the website at ottomanhistorypodcast.com. So be sure to check that out if you would like to see some of these images that we're discussing. So maybe to compare, <laughs> you know, art historians here, so maybe if we compare the... Uh, Elgin's uh, British palace, you know, before the fire and this Russian embassy. I mean, you were you were mm, saying that the, yeah. the Elgin Elgin uh, palace was, you know, really it's it's 
it's mo- it's not really very wasn't very monumental in scale. It was kind of like paper architecture, really. You know, uh, Elgin. Well, it it, it was uh, in a new material. I mean, it's. I think it's it's really in between. Where if we, yeah. Um, it's really in between uh, both chronologically and but also conceptually and architecturally elgin's palace is uh, between this phase when we have the first neoclassical buildings uh, but they are wooden buildings so they are very much uh, hybrid and and the later phase of monumental uh, dominance and so yes the the building by is is unique in many ways because it fits just in between these two uh, uh, stages of the of the, the landscape formation of right but as you were saying with the after the 1831 fire with the construction of the new russian embassy there's really sort of a in term as you were referring to in the painting that there's just yeah. such a dramatic difference in scale and visibility in, in visibility long, yeah, and like long-range is, uh, visibility from the it, sea it from the sea and and from uh uh, visibility is interesting. Is is an interesting aspect. Also, you know, uh, landscape, of course, is a subjective concept. It's interesting. Maybe it's perspectival, relational, and that's why I adopted it. And where these embassies are visible from the the british embassy was not visible from the bosphorus okay. unlike all the others so this is Elgin's it was palace we're yeah about. it, it, so it was the not palace was visible from the golden horn from the ah. arsenal okay uh, because uh, british was a maritime power and they were helping the ottomans re uh, upgrading the the navy the Ottomans. So they were very much involved with uh, naval, uh, with sea power. Uh, they were consulting for the Ottomans, and, and that's why I think their their embassy really dominates uh, the other sides of the Golden Horn okay. and the Arsenal. This is the the Terasane. The Terasane, yes, uh, yes. So, uh, is it the Ataturk uh, bridge? Not far from that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. On the so the Golden Horn, not the Golden, from not the Boas, yeah, not really. not the Boas. So um. interesting. Yeah. So um, you know, in term, I, I think I think Istanbul as a city. I mean, throughout its history, its sort of configuration, you just it it really does beg the question in terms of of the siting of buildings in terms of, of long course. range visibility. Yes, yes, you know, who it's all about looking and who can see who and yes yes um you know who can check who out you know uh, from where i think it, these are really and important questions they are and in fact in in pera in this image this lithograph drawn by brindesi uh, that uh, will be on the website yeah. on the podcast website we see something like um a replacement of the of the relation between monuments and urban fabric that we have on the on the historic peninsula we have mosques surrounded by wooden houses and they express of course a hierarchy uh, uh, in Pera, we have embassies uh, surrounded still by wooden houses, and at least in the mid nineteenth century. That so, it's that kind of relation that is uh, appropriated and repeated uh, in Pera, substituting uh, mosques for for embassies. That that's quite uh, an, an interesting aspect of of landscape. Uh, uh, Formation. Another subjective uh, <laughs> dimension in the in the in the 
in the in the perception of landscape is uh, with churches. I I have a very interesting witness I found from um, the apost- the Catholic Apostolic Vicar of Constantinople, writing in the 1830s. So when uh, he writes uh, both. Catholic and Orthodox uh, or Armenian, where well, Greek Orthodox and Armenian churches were really little visible, were really uh, not very prominent and understated landmarks. And he writes, all the Christian churches of all confessions are not very visible in the landscape of uh, Constantinople. What really dominates uh, is the mosques, uh, of course, the Ottoman mosques. And this is really a sign of divine justice. This, this is the... the <laughs> so why? Because the heretics have been punished, the Armenians and the Orthodox Greek have been punished by God in this way. So their mistakes have been... So the Catholic uh, authority is uh, almost uh, uh, praising this this kind of uh, putting putting the the Christian heretics in the shadow. And but he was was writing in a time when um, interestingly, uh, the Roman Catholic landmarks were beginning to emerge. I mean, he he was probably also confident that in the future some uh, uh, Catholic churches would start to to really appear and look more prominent in the in fact that that was going to happen after 1848. You know, it strikes me just as to hear you talking about this that even the buildings that many of them have survived till today uh you know, in terms of the urban landscape uh, and visibility that it's, even though these buildings are still with us, um, it's really almost impossible now to appreciate what you're talking about in terms of being able to see these buildings. Because w- when we were looking at this lithograph here of this this view of Para with the golden horn in the background, you know, sort of the, the, the it's so striking how prominently these these you know, really palaces were um, emerging and visible against the sort of backdrop of these small wooden houses around them. And now today we have, you know, with the sort of built up of, you know, uh, not skyscrapers, but, but you know, yeah, like large, but, tall yeah. buildings and, you know, that they've been sort of swallowed up and yes, massed yes, almost. The, yeah. So- so that that was a development, especially uh, following the uh, eighteen seventy fire. Uh, fires are, of course, important, uh, <laughs> important. ruptures in the in the urban history of of Istanbul and of of Beyalu, of Pera. So, um, in that sense, I think uh, this phase that we see here before the eighteen seventy fire. So it. And, Anticipates a little what was going to uh, materialize after the 1875 fire. So the embassies functioned, uh, maybe not all of them, but uh, in some cases they functioned uh, as a model for the future urban development. So they, they happened to be surrounded by structures that uh, looked more uh, European also, that were no longer wooden. Uh, 
And in the end, we have a more homogeneous landscape today, uh, but still uh, some of the landmarks are surrounded by large gardens. So from some specific points of view, you still get the perception of uh, how imposing they were uh, in the, in, but yes, you're right. I mean, in the time, uh, it's difficult today to appreciate the impact and really the astonishing uh, uh, monumentality that they had. Uh, only these visual sources can give us an idea. So th this, uh, um, and it, especially the time. So after, so the, between the two fires. So after 1831, when the reconstructions happened in. Uh, more monumental and imposing ways, uh, and the fire of uh, uh, 1870 that in started uh, another urban development around all these embassies, so they began, they happened to be surrounded by things that looked more uh, similar to themselves. So, the, yeah. <laughs> so uh, these visuals, so these two, I think, are very important because they show us really the most dramatic phase of this development when these huge landmarks were uh, isolated, were surrounded by uh, much more modest structures, and so they appeared... Uh, uh, Really, like landmarks of power in the in the in the Eastern question in the in the Ottoman European relations. So we've been talking a little bit about how. Uh, sort of the landscapes of Para and how and the landscapes of the Golden Horn and sort of this you know sort of long range visibility. I really am curious if we if you detected in your research a sense of uh, what we could call maybe horizontal competition between the different embassies was um, maybe in archival sources or you know just from the buildings themselves, their placement, their location in terms of was there any sense of uh, among the diplomats when, or, or you know, whoever's sort of you know spearheading these projects, the sense of we really need to build a better, bigger, more prominent, you know, uh, building than yes, you know, yes, the guy uh, next door. Absolutely, yes. This is an aspect that you constantly encounter in the in the diplomatic archives I worked in. in so the foreign ministry. Um, archives uh, in uh, in Italy, in France, and England, uh, in part also in Vienna, I worked on, and they um, always show this uh, uh, constant concern for uh, comparisons and uh, uh, competition with uh, with the neighbors, with uh, with the surrounding. Uh, uh, European landmarks, uh, for instance, when uh, the well after the French in 1774, after the French ambassador Saint Priest um, rebuilt uh, the wooden Ottoman uh, building used as a French embassy in new forms, in a neoclassical uh, uh, layout. Uh, 
um, at the Venetian ambassador, the Bailo Andrea Memo, who was, by the way, um, a scholar of architecture, he was very interested in uh, classicism, uh, in, in uh, in, in a rational form of classicism, uh, he decides to uh, upgrade, uh, to rebuild, uh, largely rebuild the Venetian palace. And he, he commissions to a draftman uh, drawings of all the other embassies and <laughs> sends them to Venice to show the gap, to show the contrast. And this is a, this so is a pattern. The same thing will be done by an Italian ambassador who, after the unification of Italy, of course, Italy is, paradoxically, is a latecomer in this landscape because the Venetian embassy in the 19th century was uh, Habsburg, was, was used by the Habsburg, was Austrian, sure. because Venice had been... Uh, became part of the of the Habsburg uh, empire so palazzo venezia was uh, austrian and when italy was unified uh, it, italy didn't have an old uh, see it notwithstanding the the long standing presence of the genoese and the venetians but then uh, italy was really a newcomer and they managed to to make uh, to to get um, a building uh, near uh, uh, well, in Tepebush, the building that is presently used as an Italian cultural center. That, that was the first embassy of Italy after the unification. This is the one that's near the Para Museum? Yes, right. exactly. So near they're, they're, they're not on Istiklal. <laughs> they, they are not, not on Istiklal. <laughs> they kind of relate and they, they are really, well, the, the ambassadors are desperate because of the, they, they feel really embarrassed because of the gap with the, with the British embassy nearby, which is this, by the way, it's, it, it looks right. very Italian. It looks very much like Palazzo and the and the, so they they all think that Italy should have a building like that, not Great Britain. <laughs> you know, and they can and see it out their window. See after, mean, yeah, really. yeah, actually, it's there. <laughs> so they're getting really stressed. About so it. they write to Rome uh, to really uh, implore for funds to to build or to buy uh, a, a building that could compare to the French to the British, but. From Italy, the question is difficult to to understand because in uh, because this is peculiar to Istanbul and being present with such imposing be, because of the history that I have outlined of because of this history of competition because of the history question etc. So the ministry in Rome doesn't really understand why they should spend more on the Italian embassy in Istanbul than they spend on the Italian embassy in Paris. So that, that, that's the point. They don't the context. They don't understand it. So when, in the end, uh, just uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, when Italy starts an, an expansion in politics in the Mediterranean, in Africa, and, and also towards the Ottoman Empire. So only then... After 1905, then they finally decide to upgrade to, to be, and they they fund a new embassy building in Machka, which will never be used as a name. It's a school now. It's the Anadolu Lycée. So that it's really that that is really the scale of the of the French of the German. It's it's. Right. 
very late and yeah. uh, and it's it's ironic because then uh, they never finished the building because of the first world war and uh, when the war is over uh, Italy gets back Palazzo Venezia so they don't need the new embassy that they start. they they regain uh, um, Palazzo Venezia because uh, finally uh, Italy is well Austria is defeated Austria is on the losing side and they get Palazzo Venezia they use it as an embassy but for very short time because then the um, the, the capital moved to Ankara and, and today Palazzo Venezia is used only as the uh, seat of the ambassador when he when the Italian ambassador comes to Istanbul he has this residence uh, otherwise it's used by the it's used in part by the consulate of course yes like the other former embassies. So we've we've talked a bit about Para, and um, maybe we should move to another space of of the city that uh, you remember uh, that these uh, embassy networks spread out to in this period and that's the Bosphorus um, so how does how does that work uh, in the 19th century um, sort of expanding their networks out into the out into the sort of shores of the Bos- Bosphorus so traditionally um, every embassy uh, has had a, a summer residence also not only so the main residence was in uh, in Pera but there uh, has always been um, secondary uh, residences uh, initially actually in the in the Belgrade forest not on the Bosphorus and beginning with mid 18th century gradually all the ambassadors start um, acquiring uh, either renting or uh, um, uh, getting as, as a as a concession by the Ottoman uh, state, some uh, coastal uh, yellows, we, we call them yellows, in, uh, in Tarabia and Buyukdere, so these uh, Bosphorus villages uh, rather far from, uh, from Istanbul, uh, they were preferred because of the heat, because of the plague, because of uh, several. We have most salubrious uh, places in summer, but this is very—I mean, this is a very Ottoman uh, sort of of tradition because uh, the the palace itself moved to the Bosphorus shores, beginning with the, with mid with the early and mid eighteenth century. So the ambassadors are following this. Uh, sort of uh, seasonal displacement uh, of power that so the power moves from the center to to the bosphorus every year in may so that that was um, absolutely in keeping with they're they're not inventing their own uh, like uh, summer um, leisurely sites they are following a trend uh, which is the overall uh, 18th century trend also of the uh, urbanization of the Bosphorus shores, where they were not really inhabited so uh, prominently before the 18th century. So, and Tarabia and Buyukdere become the, the two uh, favorite sites. They are also the sites where the Sultan allows to 
to to have uh, foreign embassies. I mean, they cannot build or reside wherever they they want. So there so. Is, there are restrictions. There are restrictions, and there are there are usually it's also an interesting aspect. Um, uh, non-Muslim uh, elite members that lose favor that that uh, are uh, somehow uh, losing favor or losing authority and prestige vis a vis the Ottoman uh, um, government, they are sometimes also dispossessed of their properties, and these properties are given to a foreign power. The the the, the uh, best known example is the Ypsilanti family. So, the Ypsilanti Alexander Ypsilanti is uh, is accused of intelligence with the Russian in an anti-Ottoman plot, and he is uh, uh, his property is seized and given to the French. Uh, the, the, the Tarabia uh, building, where still well, still today uh, belongs to to the French embassy, the Tarabia summer residence it was destroyed by a fire in 19 in the in the early 20th century so we don't see it we we see only the garden today which yeah. is the garden where the french school is pierre loti the the french lycées but that was originally an ypsilanti uh, property and it was uh, confiscated and given to sebastiani the the, the napoleonic ambassador who, who had uh, uh, resumed the diplomatic relation with the Ottomans. Uh, so you didn't find in the archives any any you know hey we need a new property so let's frame this guy <laughs> any any you know plots or machinations. <laughs> well, th- th- there are yes, uh, really? th- th- there are some. Uh, th- there is a list, for instance, after the after the eighteen twenty one Greek upheavals. Of course, there is. Uh, there are lists of confiscated properties. Uh, and so, the, a large part of the of the Bosphorus was Greek and becomes Armenian after the 1821 upheaval. But then, some many families are, in a way, um, forgiven, and uh, some properties are uh, restituted on the, in the span of some. Uh, decades uh, so uh, but it's a very yes it's a it's a very uh, dynamic pattern of, of ownership and uh, inhabitants and so it's interesting also from that point of view it's it's very political and, and political who uh, has the right to 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 be present and visible on the Bosphorus? sure that, that is a crucial uh, question in uh, in the in the urban uh, and social history of Istanbul. Well, I think that 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 stays with us today as as we sort of see these sort of you know car dealerships and and you know yes, clubs yes, <laughs> yes, yes. and so, the yeah. rents are going up uh, you know and, and yeah of course Bebek yes, and Arnavutköy and, and things like this. I think these these questions are still with us. Who has the right mm, to be yes, on the Bosphorus yes. is still very much a a pressing question today. Today, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, hopefully, we the most of our listeners will have uh, a chance to uh, enjoy a little bit of summer uh, along the Bosphorus yes. themselves. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I, I think we'll we'll wrap up here. 
Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for the questions and uh, so the interest in this uh, research. I was glad to have this chance of, of talking about my project. Um, uh, so some publications are in my academia page. As you know, we can, uh, so. Right. Yeah, exactly. Your uh, recent article on the summer palace. on the summer palace. Which, uh, we, so which the, we just the discussed. The last uh, topic we touched. So that will all be on the website. Um, this information, the images we discussed, uh, this will be all on the website at autumnhistorypodcast.com. And so all of our listeners can go there and check out the, the webpage and also uh, other episodes that they might find interesting about art and architecture with our Visual Past series. So once again, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. And to all of our listeners, uh, that's it for now. And until next time, take care.